Morning. You well? Morning. It's the most Christmassy stage I've ever preached from. It's good. So, 2nd of December. I don't know about you, but um, I have a very distinct cut-off in terms of, of my, uh, my Christmas celebrations and uh, decorations and everything. Somewhat traditional. Any time, you know, October, November, no. No, if you've, uh, if you've started then, um, no, that is wrong. Um, it's in the, I, I'm fairly sure it's in here that that is not allowed. But, um, come 1st of December, you feel free to just go nuts. All right? So, bless you. We're going to preach this morning on uh, making the most of your freedom. Um, how many of you enjoy the freedom that we have here, the freedom in Christ? Great. How many of you want to live your life in a way that makes the most of that? Yes. Good. Good. That's a good start. Um, freedom something that we contend for, something that we fight for. It's something that we enjoy. It's something that we delight in. It's also something that we need to be responsible with. Um, and ensure that we make the most of. And we've been hearing about uh, our calling as a church to lead people into freedom. Um, Over the last month, uh, Dad's been preaching uh, about uh, joining up, about playing our part in the battle for freedom. And the biblical example that we looked at was in Exodus, um, where Moses led his people out of slavery in Egypt, and they experienced probably arguably what was one of the I'd say the greatest collective miracles of all time, the the parting of the Red Sea, walking across together on dry land and out to freedom. And uh, and they were then free in a desert. Because sometimes it initially looks a little different (laughs) to how you planned it. Um, And they were given amazing opportunities and they were given the chance just to explore. They were free. They had free choice. And they had amazing opportunities with God. And we're going to look um, at some of their experiences today and how uh, we make the most of that. Let's skip on just to overview of Exodus. So we did encourage you and we continue to encourage you just to read this book. Um, read it through um, in terms of the journey into freedom and what to do that. Um, that's an amazing story. Uh, but, you know... If you want to save a bit of time, I've summarized it for you. Um, so, you know, if you at least want to act like you know what the book's about, we can do that now. And uh, no one will know. Well, God will know. Um, <laughs> but if you want to blag it to another Christian, this might help. Okay? So, um, broadly speaking, the, the book separates itself into two halves. Chapters 1 to 18, which are the exodus from Egypt, and then chapters 19 to 40, which take place at Mount Sinai, where God initiates his, his covenant with the people of Israel, gives them the Ten Commandments and the other laws, and gives them the instructions on building the tabernacle. Um, so chapters 1 to 12, you've got the calling of Moses, you've got the plagues, um, and they leave Egypt. 13 to 15 deal with um, kind of the crossing of the Red Sea. Uh, 15 through to 18 is, the, is a bit of a trek through the desert um, where, and this is important, so you make a mental note of this bit, uh, you've got provision of manna and quail for food, and generally the Israelites grumble a lot, okay, in that bit. They grumble a lot on that journey. It's almost a bit like they were going, are we there yet, to Moses? Have that kind of picture in your mind, okay? Um, So 19 to 24 is the covenant um, between God and Israel, and then 25 through 40, instructions on worship and building the tabernacle. A couple of key events. Um, Chapter 19, God descends on Mount Sinai, 
um, and the Israelites are called to meet with God, and, and he descends and um, uh, manifests himself in quite some power. In chapter 24, there's this amazing example, which I'll come on to later, where Moses and Aaron and the elders uh, of Israel are called up to the mountain, and they actually see God, and they eat a meal with him. It's an amazing opportunity. And then in chapter 32, we have what I term the golden calf fiasco, uh, where uh, despite all of this, the Israelites descend into complete idolatry and end up worshipping gods that aren't their own. So the, question, the key question that needed to be asked kind of start of this is, what was Israel set free for? I mean, yes, they were set free from oppression. But equally important, if not more important, is knowing, okay, you've been set free. What was the purpose of that? What are you set free for? What was God calling them on to do with that freedom? And the answer, as I think we've touched on before, um, really is worship. Um, Exodus 3, verse 12. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now, this is when he's talking to Moses beforehand, and this is God's confirmation to Moses in saying, this is how you'll know that it's me, because you will, you will worship on the mountain. But actually, that, that calling was more than to just Moses, um, because actually, in fact, it's not always as clear in the English, but if I highlight it um, there... That last you, when it says, you will worship God on this mountain, that's a plural phrase. That's the second person plural. That's collective. That was to the whole people. So the first bit, God, God said, I will be with you, is to Moses. And this will be a sign to you, Moses, that it is I who I have sent you, Moses. When you, Moses, have brought the people out of Egypt, you, the people, will worship God on this mountain. They were set free to worship and enjoy the presence of God. This was a calling on them as an entire people, not just to Moses. This was intended to be collective. This was never intended just for one person. This was God calling an entire nation, a people group, out to be his own. A people to enjoy the presence of God, to lift up his name and to bring him glory. And in a similar way to when my parents shared some of their stories over the last month about being called to lead people into freedom, that wasn't just an individual calling. They made that very clear, that this is something for us to step into. As a church, this is to be taken hold of by the whole community. Worship is our highest calling. We are set free to delight in him and lift his name high. Mankind, mankind was created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why we set such a high value on worship in this house, in this church. We always have, we always will. It's not just on a Sunday morning through our worship, but this is for our whole week. We, we desire a lifestyle of worship. We desire day in, day out to be living every moment as an offering of worship to God and also just to be seeking his presence. Um, and that informs all that we do here. That's central to here. For an example, um, those of us that are on staff here, um, uh, we always, in our staff meeting, the central part of that is worship every week. Week in, week out. It's an amazing privilege. It's a fantastic way to start the week. And some people can look at it, if you look at it from the outside or purely through kind of uh, 
worldly wisdom, or if you look at it with a management structure without heaven's perspective, you can think, well, that's a, that's a bit indulgent. Shouldn't you be spending that time, you know, in your strategy, communicating important staff information? Shouldn't it be done in another way? No, 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 this is essential, okay? To have our work centered around the worship of Jesus. It's at the absolute core of all that we are. And so, Israelites were led out into freedom. They, they walked through the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. They went through. They were free. They came to Mount Sinai. God descended in power, demonstrated him, called them to be a people set apart for him. And then six weeks later, worshipping a statue of a golden calf. To put this in context, all right, they've seen... You know, ten plagues in Egypt. God's divine judgment there. They've seen miraculous deliverance in Egypt. They've seen the parting of the Red Sea. Supernatural provision of food. God descend on Mount Sinai. And then they end up worshipping a cow. We're free. What are we going to do? Worship a cow. (laughs) This is a bad idea. Freedom. Cow. Freedom. Cow. Okay, it's not a good look. Israel was exposed to to great miracles and led by God, but then they quickly went and slipped into idolatry because being witness to miracles is not enough. You have to make this story your own. Okay? Your personal connection to God is always the absolute key to walking in freedom. Okay? When we're doing this as a people, it can't just be, I'm walking along, I'm seeing all these amazing things happen. And then actually, when I'm on my own, it's like, oh. Or even once you're in a season when maybe less amazing things are happening, you start to slip away from that. No, your personal connection with God is always at the absolute core of this. Don't just be a witness. Be part of it. Be a son. Be a daughter. Okay? Freedom is a risky business, isn't it? Okay? You can use freedom to do some amazing things. You can use freedom to do some really stupid things. <laughs> you can worship a cow. Okay? You can use freedom to do some silly things, to do some amazing things. I think that university is an amazing example of this. Okay? So there are many opportunities at university. There's freedom to make new friends, to learn in a whole new way, to grow in independence. And students have used their freedom to grow in their knowledge, to champion equality and justice, to take part in social action. Okay? Students sometimes get a bad rep. I think sometimes they're overly stereotyped um, in the, you know, sleep until two in the afternoon, never do anything, um, laze around for three years, get drunk a lot. Okay? And whilst I don't want to say that they're perfect, in fact, we need to be celebrating that, that element of our society and championing them. Because okay? sometimes I've been witness at university of amazing things that students did and joined and partnered in community projects and building one another up. It's an amazing time. Now, freedom is often used well, but also sometimes not so well. Freedom at university can sometimes lead to some slightly silly behaviour. Um, for those of you that uh, haven't been or maybe don't have an immediate picture, Freshers' Week is the first week of university. Um, this is when all the students start for the first time. Imagine 5,000 18-year-olds away from home for the first time 
with a lot of other 18-year-olds and access to a lot of alcohol. And it leads to some interesting uh, behaviour. Um, I, I was a student in Southampton and I was also a junior doctor in Southampton. And I was working A&E uh, as a night shifts during Freshers' Week. Um, and boy, did we see some things. <laughs> um, and typically, there was just like load after load of comatose teenagers just being wheeled into the department. And it was our job to work out either if they were still drunk, just drunk or whether there was something else more serious going on. And so the way that we did this, a good talk, but also just partly for our own amusement, was just to approach them in an, in an excessively loud and cheerful manner. Um, my friend Katie, she was one of the SHOs, one of the junior doctors there, and she went over to this you know, uh, young girl who was out cold, came up, gave a gentle shake, and then went, hello, <laughs> you all right? And the student's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Do you know where you are? And bless her, this student kind of opened her eyes very blearily and went, student welfare office? All right, <laughs> 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 no, this is A&E, love. Welcome to Southampton. <laughs> Freedom allows people to behave how they want. Sometimes wisely, sometimes not so. Okay? Israel didn't always use it wisely. Okay? Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. It's a disaster, isn't it? What went wrong? Well, first off, they relied on other people's experiences of God. When Moses wasn't immediately around, they felt that God wasn't there. And they asked Aaron to make them another God. That's tragic. Okay, it comes back once again. Your own personal connection to God is absolutely key. Okay, don't just be a witness. In fact, when we're hearing testimonies of other people's experiences, don't just be an onlooker. A testimony is showing you something that is accessible for you. Okay? It's showing what is possible. It's showing what we are able to encounter, what we're able to experience. Also, they were impatient. Moses was up on the, on the mountain for you know, nearly six weeks. Okay? Sometimes... God moves very quickly, and sometimes it feels like there's a pause. And it's important not to let impatience grow into frustration and then disillusionment, because that is what happened here with the Israelites. And also, they reverted to old ways of thinking. Okay? The, when they made a golden calf, um, the golden calf was actually probably similar to a model of an Egyptian god. There was a bull god called Apis. Okay, so this isn't just a, we're going to create something new for ourselves. This is a, we are going to go back to our old way of thinking. We're going to go back to what we served beforehand. We're going to allow ourselves to slide back and actual fact, allow ourselves to become enslaved all over again in our minds. When you're set free, when things are difficult, it's tempting to go back to old patterns of behavior. Okay, and sometimes people feel that life was easier when they were being controlled, actually. At least things were predictable. With freedom, you're responsible for your own actions and behaviors and, and shaping your own destiny. And sometimes that can feel daunting. It's daunting if you're not doing it step by step, walking with God. 
Galatians 5, notes this. It says, you're free. Don't let yourselves be enslaved again. Okay? And the battle for this is always right here between your ears. It's not externally. But in terms of what else went wrong, what, the, what were the roots of that? The roots of the problem okay, started in the desert before they'd even arrived at Mount Sinai. So remember I told you earlier that these chapters 15 through 18, um, which I have labeled manna, quail, and grumbling in the desert, okay, this informs a lot of the problems. This is where things started to go wrong, and these are some of the lessons that we need to learn. Okay? As they went through from the Red Sea through the desert, and time and time again, it's recorded chapters 15 through 17 in particular, that the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and quarreled with him grumbled about water, they grumbled about food, they grumbled about not being back in Egypt, about not having some of the things there. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Okay? Are we there yet? Okay? <laughs> grumbling is a killer. Okay? Grumbling is not just a small behavior that, okay, we put up with, we tolerate, or that everybody does, so it's okay. Grumbling is toxic. Okay? It shows a lack of trust and it shows a lack of thankfulness. It, it steals your joy. It can also steal the joy of other people, actually. All right? Grumbling doesn't just affect you. It affects who you're grumbling to. It's damaging to them. It's damaging to the environment. Grumbling is, is actually it's not ultimately a heart's response to circumstances. It's a response to God. Okay? This is important. Okay? We, we think we're grumbling because of our circumstances, but ultimately it's a lack of trust in God because we feel, okay, he hasn't got this, this handled or God isn't doing what I wanted him to do. And he's going to grumble about that. Okay? It's an absolute killer. Don't partner with it. Don't let that in. Don't let that become part of your habit. Don't let that become part of your conversation. Okay? Stamp that out. Get rid of it. Because... Yeah, it will destroy you. And what's the ant- antidote to this? What's the antidote to grumbling? Joyfulness, thankfulness, gratitude. Being thankful to God. Okay. Gratitude is one of the things that, um, growing up, it's one of the main things that I feel that my, my, my parents made a, a conscious, if not daily effort, to instill into me. Uh, myself and, and Kerry, who's my sister. And we were told daily, any time that we were being prone to grumbling or sulky or anything else, even through teenage years, which, you know, it's interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, mum and dad would come and say, have you got the grumble mumbles or have you got the gratitude attitude? <laughs> Me and Kerry would be like, I'll show you my gratitude attitude. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I mean, credit to them. It takes incredible boldness to make that statement to a grumpy teenager, okay? (laughs) Okay, have you got the gratitude attitude? Remember that. So I now pass that on to you, that that, that phrase, okay, from my own parenting. Gratitude is essential, okay? Thankfulness, thankfulness to God for all that he has done and keeping that always in your sight and always in your vision is essential to walking in freedom and walking in his presence. Hey, there's a reason it says in the Psalms, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving and worship. These are absolutely essential in terms of our daily walk with God. 
So be thankful. Have gratitude. Have the gratitude attitude. Remembrance, also important. You keep uh, at the forefront of your mind at all times what God has uh, done, times that he's come through for you. Do you reflect on his faithfulness? It will keep you from grumbling. It will keep you alive. So there's one lesson. Don't grumble. Be thankful. This is manna, or as close as to the picture of manna I get, um, in that God provided for them amazingly, miraculously, a food source that just appeared on the ground every day. And yet they didn't handle it well. Okay? Because God said, I'll provide daily. Every day there will be food on the ground. Take in what you need for that day. Don't store it. Don't store it overnight. Said Every day you come and take what's needed. What did Israel do? Stored it in pots. What happened? Open it the next morning, full of maggots. Again, that's not a good look. Okay? At the heart of that again is a lack of trust because they were doubting that God would still come through for them the next day. Because actually, in fact, what they've done is they've taken the miraculous provision of God and they've tried to control it with human wisdom. All right? They've tried to process that through a worldly mindset. Okay? They've interpreted that miracle entirely wrong and they've tried to, they are mixing worldviews there. Okay? Because in actual fact, the provision of manna was never purely about just the provision of food. This was about a daily encounter with God. God could have set it so that it said, right, on the first day of each week, I'll send some manna, gather it, gather it up, that'll last you for the week. Save time, yes? So maybe, you know, why would it protect? Okay, that'd be easier. Right, let's just gather it up, you know, once a week or even once a month. Okay, this is not within God's, uh, without, it's not, um, it's not outside of God's ability to do that. Why does he do it this way? Because the actual fact, the provision was about relationship, not just about food. Okay? Because God is saying, I want you to be coming daily to me. Okay? Every day you come and you're reminded that it is him who provides, that it is him who loves you, that it is him who does miracles every day. Okay? Thanks. Thanks, Patrick. I like you. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> okay? Why put the Sabbath in there? Okay, partly, yes, to reinforce the idea that they weren't always to toil and to rest, but also it breaks it being a formula, all right? Okay, because actual fact, once a week, God does it differently. (laughs) And he's allowed to do that. So we don't just get into the mechanical, okay, daily I go in, do this, yeah, yeah, God provides. This needs to be constantly, this should have been a constant, amazing experience. Come out, wow, food from nothing again. And on one day, God provides and he completely changes the way that it's, uh, the, the food operates in that it lasts an extra day because he wants me to rest. All right? It stopped them being complacent and only overly familiar. Okay? Say, so, this miracle was not intended just to, to meet a need. It was intended to keep them close to God. Okay? The same people who walked through the Red Sea worshipped the golden calf. The miracles need to be in the context of relationship. Okay? And we need to be coming to God every day, seeking God daily, not relying on yesterday's experience. That's crucial. That's for us. What was good for that day is great. And actually, in fact, we remember it and we celebrate it, but that is not to be our only taste of God. 
Okay, if God had provided manna one day and then never again, you'd have had a bunch of, well, one thing, a bunch of very scrawny Israelites. Um, but also, that wouldn't have been enough. They wouldn't have been encountering God day by day. Whereas he made provision every day. Come to God. Never be satisfied with what's gone on in the past. Okay? That's not how relationships work, is it? If you've got a good friend, you go, oh, that's good. Yeah, we, we've, had a, we've had a great time. Um, I won't see you again. That doesn't work. Okay? Same with your church life and your worship. Don't, don't just come on a Sunday thinking that you can just store up enough experience of God to get you through the week. That's religion. All right? that, that's, that's dangerous. Okay? That what needs to be, this is an overflow of our daily walk, day in, day out, of each of us experiencing God every day. Okay? The model where you come to church once a week, where you meet some priest who doles out the goodness of God for you, oh, okay, take that away. Best not use up too much of that too quick. But hopefully that will last me through come Friday, Saturday, then stagger into Sunday, off we go again. All right? That is a bad model of Christianity. Okay? The model is walk day in, day out, constant encounter. What is God saying to you every day? Okay? Focus on the opportunities and the provision. Be grateful every day. Because when we're called into freedom, as I said earlier, it's very important to know what you're free from, but also what you are free for. Because we've looked at some of the pitfalls that we need to avoid, but I also want to look at some of the amazing things that are open to us, uh, partly, again, through a couple of other examples in Exodus. Because I don't want this to just be a warning of, don't do this. But in actual fact, it's an encouragement. These are the chances that are available to us. Okay? God is here, day in, day out. We are free to worship and encounter him, as we saw earlier. Because this was actually the, the calling upon Israel. In Exodus 19, as I said earlier, God has descended on Sinai, and this is his promise to them. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant... And out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests, the whole people, not again, not just reliant on one man. Moses was given special access to God, and there was an amazing relationship there. But the heart was that the whole people follow him into it. A holy nation speaks of the same thing. God's treasured possessions, they were free to be cherished by God, to be loved by him. Again, this was the calling on their whole nation, not just on one man, not just on Moses. This is the opportunity that is available to every Christian. We have that, to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set aside by God, loved by him. And there's this amazing example of this in Exodus. Exodus 24. Have a look, have a look at the, the chapter in more detail when you get home. Um, if we read this out. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Just, just process that. They saw the God of Israel. This was the God that chose in unapproachable light that previously, you know, many people throughout that whole Old Testament said, okay, okay. You know, if I see you, I die, because God is that holy. Hey, they went up, 
they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire stones as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. They had a meal with God. They saw him. And this isn't just Moses. This is 70 people along with Aaron and some of the priests that have gone up and just experienced the open, free access to the presence of God. Imagine what it would have been if the whole nation had taken hold of that opportunity. Imagine how different that could have been. Imagine that opportunity presented to you. Because you have even greater opportunities. Okay? We enjoy the freedom that God has brought for us. And we enjoy his presence daily. Jesus has made the way for that kind of open access, that experience, day in, day out. You get to go and be in the presence of God without fear, without judgment, with all your sin washed away, and just to sit. You sit and eat with God. I've increasingly tried to just to do normal, everyday activities with God. So um, if I'm watching something on, on Netflix, at the moment I'm watching their version of Lost in Space, because I'm a sci-fi nerd and I rejoice in that. Okay? But I sit down and I'm like, God, will you watch this with me? I know that sounds a bit weird, I, you know, thinking how interested is God in Lost in Space, but I know God is interested in me. Okay? God is interested in spending time with me. I can do that with him. My everyday activities, my everyday life, as I'm walking, God, will you walk with me? All right? In day out. However that is, there is a greater opportunity because Jesus has made the way because actually we are under the new covenant that makes free, unrestricted access to the presence of God, to hearing his voice day in, day out, and to hearing him uh, rejoice over us, to see him smiling over us. Enjoy the freedom. This is what your freedom is for. Okay? Don't let anyone take that away from you. Don't let grumbling or a worldly perspective, start to eat away at the edges of that freedom. Okay? Don't become complacent um, about being in an environment where other people are encountering with God and not being always making a conscious effort to be doing so yourself. Come to God daily and make provision for that. Okay? Cultivate your own encounters with him. Okay? Just for example from the New Testament, Philip and Nathaniel. This is from John chapter 1. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. That's the invitation. It's the invitation day in, day out. In this house, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Okay? Don't just hear about it third hand. If you're here this morning, if you're not in relationship with God, if you're not a Christian, that opportunity is here for you. These amazing experiences that we describe, they are open to you. That's just a very simple uh, um, invitation. Come see for yourself. For those of us that already know him, that, the invitation is come and see for yourself, come further. Come walk with me more. Come deeper into me. Jesus is too good to not come and see for yourself. He's also too good to keep to yourself. That's where I love this example of Philip saying, I've met Jesus. 
Who else can I introduce to this? Who else can I get to come into this amazing freedom? Okay, who else will come to come and just introduce to the amazing friend? So that's the invitation. Come and see. When you stand, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we delight in you. We thank you for the freedom that you have given us. The freedom just to walk daily with you. To come to you every day. To come to you for our provision. To come to you in relationship. We delight in you as our Father. Lord God, we we determine just to be seeking ever more of you. Never to be settling for what's gone before. We rejoice in all that you've done. We remember all that you've done. We remember your faithfulness. We come with thankfulness. But we come because that actually just sets us apart to pursue even greater experiences of you. Greater experiences with you. Holy Spirit, just pray that you will come now. Come bless us. Come fill us. We just pray right now for a new touch of you. That you will speak to us. That you will love us. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just, let's just wait for two minutes. Just wait on him. Just speak to him yourself. Lord Jesus, we just declare this is all for you, for your glory. That your worship is our highest calling. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Go forth. Be awesome.